in the world, we have to do something noble to be valued or recognized. But in the kingdom, we become valued by the noble one, Jesus first. And from that reality, we operate in good works. Now that's the thought that we're jumping off from again today in part two of our show entitled Kingdom Opposites. Let's join in with the show that's already in progress. In today's cruel culture and wounded world, you deserve some good news. Preacher Things started in 2016, devotional encouragement that challenged how most believers believe. Later, I was approached about turning the social media post into something more akin to audiovisual format that explained and extended the thoughts for clarity. Clarity came in 2021. After a season of frustration, transition, personal growth, and soulful maturing, the Preacher Think podcast puzzle began falling into place while worshiping through bitterness, praising through change, being comforted, cared for, and counseled back into leadership, and enjoying a season of celebration. God blessed me with a team, the resources, the support, and the permission to present to you Preacher Think. Thoughts downloaded from God and His Word, uploaded to all through the lens of grace and kingdom. But I will share a few just so we can see how the kingdom perspective is opposite of the world's perspective. You write, uh, And I'm going to kind of link them back to that journal entry that I wrote uh, and, and shared with you guys. You might remember I mentioned earlier from my journal the idea that the world has about achieving, whereas in the kingdom it's about receiving. There's a parable congruent with, the, with that idea called the parable of the vineyard workers found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This story portrays, listen, a landowner that employs workers at different times throughout the day to work his vineyard. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, when it's time for the workers to get paid, the landowner, uh, landowner gives each worker uh, you know, the same amount, one denarius, which at that time was equal to a day's wage, um, and he gave it to each one of them, no matter how long each one worked, because that's what they agreed to at the beginning of their shift, whether that was early in the morning or at noon or the last shift of the day, the last hour of the day. This illustrates or gives us a picture of the generosity and the grace of God to freely give his blessings and his reward to all who believe in him no matter their level of work ethic or the work done, no matter what they achieve, because again, in the kingdom, it's not about achieving, but receiving. Because the ultimate reward and blessing of God is rescue, salvation. And that is the reality of anyone who believes in Jesus, whether that's early in life or on a deathbed. Why would I bring that up? Well, you see, in the world, as long as you do more and do better, the more and the better you can achieve. But in the kingdom, Jesus did the most and the best by his sacrifice on the cross, which cannot be improved upon. And I know people will say, well, what about the scripture that says where Jesus said, you know, greater works than these that you have seen of me that you will do it. it we're supposed to be getting ready to do greater works. When in that passage of scripture, I don't believe that God is talking about you're going to do something greater than he did on the cross. 
because the cross cannot be improved upon. There is nothing greater than the rescue, the salvation of Jesus Christ, of all mankind, of all humanity. I believe when he says you will do greater works, what he's saying is, is when by my coming, my dying and my rising, when I ascend to the father, when I send back the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the guide into all truth, when I send back the Holy Spirit, when I pour out my spirit on all flesh, there will be greater numbers of you that will not only have the Holy Spirit that will have uh, just come upon you for good works, but you will have the Holy Spirit living in you. And by the vast numbers of you, you will be do, able to do a greater amount of things because it won't just be me, one singular individual in time, in a body, God in a body, Jesus in the earth, doing all these miraculous things that you're doing. You will all be empowered by my spirit and in great vast numbers, you will be able to go. That is the greater things because it's about greater work in regard to number wise. There will be a vast number of you endowed with my spirit that can go out and do greater works, not greater in the sense of greater than what I already accomplished on the cross. So Jesus has given the most and the best of himself to all. And to those that believe, we access that all by what? By faith. And listen, and some choose to not believe that, leaving the goodies of God and, and, and what he gives on the table. But that still doesn't nullify the truth that it's not about achieving rescue, but receiving the rescue he has provided for all people for all time. And listen, and, and, and again, here's just another little side note. I mean, I, I, I've known, I, I know some that if they were honest, they would say they were more than perturbed, I would say, that they had lived for the Lord for 30 or 40 or 50 years, yet they knew someone that received the life of Christ just before transitioning uh, that had no stellar Christian resume, so to speak, like theirs. And, and still the reality is they'll be inheriting the same reward as the longtime believer. But that's God's prerogative. And that's really none of our business, got nothing to do with us. It reminds us, listen, that our worth, our value and reward in God's kingdom is not based on our own efforts like they are according to the world. That's the goodness of God's favor and generosity toward all people. Second thing, you might remember this. You might remember I mentioned earlier from my journal the idea that the world has about becoming someone we are not yet. Whereas in the kingdom, it's about believing we've already become who we were always meant to be, even as our soul grows up into that reality. Um, in the parable of the prodigal son, which I really probably should be entitled the idiot sons because this father had two sons and, and both of them did not recognize the very character of this man and the, the love and the acceptance that they both already had. But anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> In Luke 15, 11, uh, through 32, that is where you find the parable of the prodigal son that kind of gives us a, it gives a, a, a parable that, that pairs up with this opposite that I'm talking about where the world says that, you know, we're, we're waiting to become someone that we're not yet. And the kingdom says that you already are, 
you know, everything that you were ever meant to be. Again, in this parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 32, we've got this youngest son. I just want to talk about the youngest son. I don't have time to get into the oldest one. We've got this youngest son that asked for his inheritance for from his dad, and then he runs hard into a life of flippant and flamboyant living, right? And eventually, listen, he comes to his senses, and from a place of despair, he decides to return to his dad's house with hopes to simply be treated as a hired hand. But dear old dad had other plans. Dad saw his boy a ways off and ran to him and embraced him and told the service to put his, some sandals on his feet and a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. And he said, man, go kill the fatted calf because we're getting ready to have, you know, a party. We're getting ready to have, get our party on because this son that was once lost to the world was now found again in the clamps of his father's love. This story shows the fact that, listen, at times we view ourselves when we get the world on us, when we get the stench and the stain of the world on us, we view ourselves as worthless, not loved, not accepted. But God, who is represented by a dear old dad in this story, he always sees us as quite the opposite. He always sees us and, and holds us and hearkens to us as loved and accepted, deserving of his love and adequate. The world tells us to strive for all of these things. The world tells us to strive for love and acceptance, forgiveness and freedom and promise and affirmation and life and identity and definition and all of these things. The world tells us to strive for these things while according to the kingdom, God tells us not to strive for them, but to thrive in all these things because they are reality, no matter what we feel, how we feel, or what we've done. We don't have to strive to become something or someone we think we aren't when God says simply to rest in who we are. Ones that are, again, loved, accepted, favored, graced for such a time as this, and ones that are here, planted, placed in the earth to bring worth and add value in various realms of influence. Here's another one. You might remember that I mentioned language in, in that journal entry tethered to knocking down doors of opportunity to force our way into things, whereas in the kingdom, Jesus is our door. He is the door. He ushers us into opportunity that's tailor-made for each and every one of us. Now, not commonly viewed, I'm, I'm, I'm veering from the Gospels, not commonly viewed as a parable, and outside of the scope of the parables located in the Gospels, there is a parabolic story located in the book of Revelation that speaks to walking through doors, being invited into those doors, rather than bulldozing our way in. John writes at the behest of God to the lukewarm church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. I know many of you know this story well, and, and I'm going to unpack this just a little bit. But in Revelation 3, 14 through 22, John leans towards a symbolic narrative that would, he sees a vision of this symbolic narrative that would become common to the lives of the hearers that um, conveyed, a again, a moral or a truth 
uh, about where they were spiritually. So John writes this at the behest of God to the lukewarm church of Laodicea. John writes that they are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. They're not frozen in complete apathy, one translation puts it, nor are they fervent with passion for God. And what's the result? God says that, listen, here it is, he will vomit or spew them out of his mouth. Now, I've heard all kinds of interpretations for this, and they all point to God being mean and mad and bloodthirsty for these Laodiceans, but that's really not the case of what's happening in this letter, this writing that John writes to Laodicea. The Greek idiom here lends itself to actually saying, listen, I am about to give you out of my mouth, what? A reprimand, a rebuke, some correction, discipline. And we know that God chastens or disciplines those that he loves. So what does that say about the Laodiceans? He loves them too. And he desires that they lay aside this lackadaisical way of the world and go with an all or nothing approach, being all in fervent with passion or all out frozen with apathy. Now, even when I say frozen with apathy, I'm not talking about people having the layout of seeds having lost their salvation or not being saved. He's saying you either going to go in with an all in fervent with passion approach to take and lay hold of all of the multidimensional grace that has been afforded to you to trust me to sustain you and empower you, embolden you, transform you and make you administers of grace. Or you're just going to stay frozen in apathy at the base of the uh, of the mountain, the foundation of the mountain of grace. And you won't experience the multidimensional grace, but you will just experience the one dimension of salvation. And you'll just kind of camp out around rescue and you'll say, well, we'll just hold on tie knot in the rope and hold on to it till Jesus comes back. And we'll wait for the escape hatch to open and we'll wait for him to come and, and step out on the cloud so we can exit and departure and all of these things. We're waiting for God to come take us out of this world. And he's saying, I am not coming to take you out of the world. As a matter of fact, he said, when he comes back, it will be like in the days of Noah. And the ones that are swept away or taken away are the ones that are just like the ones that were swept away in the story of Noah. They were swept away to God's wrath. But the one that was left, the one that was with the man in the field, the one that's left, the one that uh, of the women that was left at the grinding mill, the one that was left, they were left to the new heaven and the new earth, to subdue the earth when Jesus steps back on the cloud and the new heaven and new earth comes down. So what he's trying to say is, is don't stay frozen in apathy at the base of the foundation of grace, just hanging out around rescue and salvation. Grow up into, step up into, be empowered up into all of the multidimensional grace in which I've afforded for you. This, listen, this analogous parable would have been very familiar, listen, in the way of narrative to the people of Laodicea 
talking about being lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. This parable, this analogous parable would have been very familiar in the way of narrative to the people of Laodicea. Listen, given their geographical location, Laodicea is, on. if you look at it on a map, it is between Heropolis to the north and Colossae to the south. So think about where they were positioned. This is what you need to know. Here's a backdrop. I'm going to give you a little history here. They didn't have fresh water or any water supply where they were in Laodicea. So they had to have hot water piped in from the north from the hot springs of Heropolis. And they had to have cold water piped in from the south from uh, Colossae. In short, listen to this. By time the, the water would reach Laodicea, the water would be lukewarm because it was a long way from Heropolis to Laodicea piping that water, that hot water through. And it was a long way from Colossae up to Heropolis, uh, to, uh, to Laodicea piping the cold water up. So by the time it would reach Laodicea, it would be lukewarm. Now, let's put our thinking caps on for just a minute. Think about this. Hot water has therapeutic properties that are beneficial much like a hot shower after being out in the snow. Cold water also has properties that are beneficial and refreshing, uh, like a cold drink of water after being out in the hot 100-degree summer heat. But listen, but lukewarm water has no real beneficial properties at all. So what does this mean of the Laodiceans? What was God saying to them through John who wrote to them? He was urging them to repent, to change the way that they think about God and all of his goodness that was for them, and to lean fervently into an exuberant and intimate relationship with him and abandon the non-beneficial way of hanging out in the no man's land called lukewarm, to abandon the lack of passion and faith, to abandon this non-useful way of living. It's, it's, he was calling them to rekindle a passion and to set aside the indifference and complacency in their faith, which shows what? It showed that the world around them was having more influence on them than the kingdom was. In this call to return to fervor and passion, listen to this, in Christ, God goes on to say in Revelation 3.20, here's what it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. This is the lean into reality that Jesus desires. An invitation to come alive within us. Not to, listen, here it is, y'all not to forcefully knock down the door to relationship. The same goes with kingdom citizens in the earth. Rather than having to force our way into relationships and opportunities, we can simply trust Jesus as our door to walk through as he opens all doors to us. Every single door to the opportunity to the things that God has set forth for each and every one of us before the foundation of the world. He is the door to those things. 
And that door is open all coming on the heels of him talking to these Laodiceans about, hey, man, stir up the gift that's within you. And let's get away from this lackadaisical, just leaning back on your laurels, on the ways of the world, just saying, I'm good right here. Don't settle like the some of the children of Israel tried to do on the east side of the Jordan. Don't sell. Cross over into the promised land. And we know of the new covenant. The promised land is not a geographical location. It is a person. Jesus is the land of promise. Cross over into all of the goodness, all of the favor, all of the multidimensional grace that is encapsulated, personified, embodied in the person of Jesus that lives on the inside of you. Don't allow that to lay dormant. Engage it. Grow up into it. Express it and exhibit it. So, (laughs) I hope these parables shared from Jesus about what kingdom realities actually are like show you that the world is keenly set at opposition to our reality. Because in the world, we have to do something noble to be valued. But in the kingdom, we become valued first by the noble one, Jesus. And from that reality, we get to do noble things, operating in good works that were prepared for us in advance. Good works from his life received not a cheat, from whom we have become, not whom we have yet to be, from the doors that are open to us, not doors that we have to force our way into, knocking them down, kicking them down. Now we don't have to do that. Jesus is the door. He simply opens up himself for us to walk in and through him as he operates in and through us. Well, we've run out of time, but man, I really hope this brings some clarity to how the world is opposite from the kingdom. I really hope you've enjoyed this content today. Of course, I hope that you will connect with us and we trust that you will continue to walk out your life at the pace of grace. You guys be blessed. Want to share the good news? You can support Preacher Thing by sharing it with everyone using the share button. You can stay connected to Preacher Thing via Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and various podcast streaming platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about what the gospel has done for you, message us or leave them in the comment section. You can also email us at preacherthink at gmo.com. Thanks for tuning in.